Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame with our first episode of 2022. Woohoo! I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing Happy pretty New good. Year. Happy New Year, yes. Despite all of the craziness, I'm, I'm all right. We have snow up here, which is exciting. Um, wow, we do not. There's Shock. snow on top of the mountains where it belongs. <laughs> this is honest. No, actually, this is bizarre, though, because this is the first real, like, proper accumulation of snow. Um, and I've been I've been upstate for several weeks and usually get at least one good snow in December. But nothing, nothing. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah, we had so much rain. It was ridiculous. And now people are like, why are they still talking about the droughts? Like, because one series of rainstorms didn't solve it, dipshits. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Why do we have to have water restrictions? Well, let's think. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so, you know, you get water restrictions, we get snow. Um... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just build a pipeline across the United States, and everybody in snowy places can just dump their snow in there, and it'll melt and give us water. Yeah, see, we can do, we can balance this out. There, we, we've solved climate change. Awesome. We have. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so let's. We are very excited to be back this week, of course. But unfortunately, I, I guess that we're gonna have to start with some of these sadder, sad. You know, this this is one of the things that I was talking about <laughs> earlier because it is it is sad. It, I'm not yeah. saying that it's not sad. It is sad, but also I think that, that you know when you have these great celebrities who are passing on, right? You're talking about people in this case who are like between their mid 80s into their mid 90s and late 90s, mm -hmm. and that's really spectacular. These are people who have had really amazing lives. Yeah, and and are being celebrated. And I think as as you pointed out, Karen, the fact that people are so sad over Betty White's passing is remarkable, really, because she was this awesome woman who was beloved till the day that she died. Mm hmm Yeah, it was it was a meme that was going around that captured it so perfectly. It said, Live your life in such a way that if you die at ninety nine, people still say it was too soon. Yeah, there there is that just like, no, not Betty White, she had so much more to do. It's like <laughs> But she was, like, 99. And I she mean... really hasn't done much the last couple of years. Like, when's the last time you actually saw her out and about? It's been a while, because she's been declining, because she's 99 years old. 99 years old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so very recently we've lost, actually, three, three quite big connections, I guess, to, to past Hollywood history, to past film history. Um, we've lost Betty White, Peter Bogdanovich, and, uh, and of course, just just very recently yesterday um Sydney Poitier mm -hmm. and this I mean it is it is tough I think when I think one of the sad things or one of the 
disappointments maybe about losing Betty White is that she was so close to 100. You're just like, come on, Betty, you can get there. But yeah. Uh, she... I mean, for all intents and purposes, she made it. She missed it by 17 days, so she was 100. She just didn't officially cross that finish line. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting that these three hit all this, you know, this past week, because it's been a long time since we have talked about, or, I mean, I remember it being a constant refrain when there would be celebrity deaths of, like, oh, they always go in threes, and... I haven't heard anybody say that in the last couple of years. And so then, like, boom, three just in the space of one week. Because we had Betty White last Friday. Bogdanovich was, what, Wednesday or Thursday? And then Sydney Poitier on Friday again. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and and I do think that there that some of some of the reaction to it is also the fact that, you know, these these really were people who were connected to earlier filmmaking. Right. Mm-hmm. And now they're I, I think it's, some of it is a reminder that a lot of these people are old. You know, yeah. these these are all people in their 80s and 90s. These are not young people at all. Um, and that there is this whole generation that is get, getting much older and is, you know, going to die in the next 10, 15, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And it's I mean, this is something that you and I talked about off off air, but uh, you can't really say it on social media without getting blasted, but the reality is, the these deaths, they're really sad, and we're sorry to see them go, and we're sorry to lose them, but these do not spell like, oh, well, 2022 is over, just pack it in, everything's terrible now. It's like, well, this was gonna happen sooner or later. Yeah. You know, like, these, they were, they were at the end, and so it's like, if if any of them had held out till 2023, does that automatically mean 2023 is, is shot because, like, someone died at 95 years old? Like, no, that's, we can be bummed and that's fine, but don't, don't let this just set your year off on the wrong foot, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think the more, more to the point of that is to actually celebrate what they did accomplish in their lives, because these, again, these are spectacular people. And I, I will even say that as someone who doesn't particularly like a lot of Peter Bogdanovich's films. <laughs> but when I saw it, it's just like, no, last picture show. And it's like, okay, yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely, you know, he, he was this connection, particularly um, to older Hollywood as well, to mm-hmm. via, via the people that he worked with, via people like Orson Welles. Yeah. Um, and so there is this continuum, I think, that is, it's not vanishing or anything like that, but it's it's moving on because people are getting older. Um, but we did have a question, actually, about Sidney Poitier, who is, I mean, such a, not just such an icon, but such an important figure in, in Hollywood history, in the history of the civil rights movement, in representation of black men on screen. Um, so we did have a question from Et Gangcock Mitch. Given the news about Sidney Poitier today, how about each of you give us your top three of his movies you would recommend? And this is really hard because at first I was like, well, you know, obviously they're in the heat of the night and to serve with love. But then you're like, but what are some like lesser known films that he's done, you know? Yeah. Um, so one of the very first ones of well, probably the very first one that he was in that I ever saw was actually A Raisin in the Sun from 1961. It is on Criterion. In fact, a bunch of his films, I think, right now are on Criterion. Um, But that was, 
it was, you know, we read the play in my seventh grade English class, and then we watched his film, and that was one that, that was the first time I ever saw him on screen and knew who he was, and it just always, like, that's one of the first films I think of when I think of Sidney Poitier. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that he and most of the rest of that cast were also in the play on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They they originated those roles. Those yeah. Were, those and were that like, cast was Ruby D, Claudia McNeil, Diana Sands. Uh, yeah. Louis Gossett Jr. was in it, too. I think that was one of his very first uh, film roles. One of his earliest ones. But anyway, yeah, great film. What's one of yours? Uh, one of mine is actually one that I saw fairly recently. And like I say, I was looking for some films that, you know, are, are lesser known in some ways, because otherwise I would just say In the Heat of the Night, which if anyone who's listening has not seen In the Heat of the Night, absolutely go and see it. it is oh, remarkable. yeah. It's a great film. Um, yeah, get a hold of it. It's everywhere, honestly. So you should mm-hmm. be able to, to find it. Um, it. It really is a remarkable film. And there's still such power in the, in the scene where he slaps the, the um, racist white guy. Yeah. And yeah. even though it doesn't have quite the same resonance as it did um, when the film came out, that the film itself like just gives you the sensation of how, what a transgression that is and what a declaration of power it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a really remarkable scene. And the, the film overall is, is fantastic and a really interesting movie. Um, but one of the ones that, that I actually recently saw was his film debut, like feature lead debut, um, which is No Way Out from 1950. And it's, this is a pretty, not, I don't want to say superficial, but it's, it, it is very obviously about race and issues of race. And Poitier plays a, a young doctor in a, um, in a county hospital who is kind of right at the end of his training. He is, and he's working the, the uh, prison ward for the night. And Richard Widmark uh, and his brother is, are brought in um, to, be, to be operated on. They've just like pulled off this, um, uh, this, this heist and they've both been shot. And over the course of this, it basically comes out that Widmark is this very violently racist person. Um, Poitier's character operates on his brother and the brother winds up dying. And so this kind of sets off this cascade of blame, this cascade of anger and hatred at this, this sole, the sole black doctor in this hospital, um, causing or not causing or doing his best for this w- white racist who uh, is then killed. And it's, it's a fantastic film. It's directed by uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz and is also on the Criterion channel. It's a very intense movie, but it kind of gets at all of these simmering racial tensions that exist in this, in this city that are also about like what is acceptable for black people to be and what, what's acceptable for white people to be. So a lot of the conflict really is about the fact that the Widmark character is this violent racist but he's also very poor this is the the poor white man kind of thing and really resents the fact that here is this black doctor who has power over him at some level who has more education more um, opportunity even though of course the Poitier character has been fighting for this his entire life and that's what we, we see 
the, it's it's a great film. It is very intense, and it, again, it's one of those films. This was made in 1950. Um, one of those films that you watch and go like, "How are we still having some of these same discussions? Why is there still this same kind of violence happening?" Because you feel like that, that we should have gotten past it by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another one of mine is one that comes up in conversations uh, every once in a while. Um, but I still feel like not enough people have seen it. And that is Sneakers from 1992. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I freaking love that movie. Have you seen it? I've seen it ages ago. Uh, okay. It's also been on my list for a long time um, mm-hmm. to watch again. I saw it, I think they, they used to show it on Comedy Central all the time. And I remember watching it there. Did they? See, I, I don't remember it being on there. But um, it was recently on HBO Max. It's now off. But I think it's on Cinemax. But you can also rent it in a few places as well. And um, it's it's a spy movie and it's got such a fun cast. It's Robert Redford, Danny Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, Mary McDonald, River Phoenix, um, and David Strathairn are also in it. And um, it's it's really funny. It's it's this spy movie, but it's like about some um, uh, kind of well. They're led by someone who's kind of a fugitive, like, hiding his past. And they do a lot of... This group does a lot of um, questionable things. But then they get offered the opportunity to um, do a really big job for the government. And if they do, then Robert Redford is their leader. And if they do, then uh, they're going to be... He's going to be cleared is, is the deal, basically. Um, but it's, it's such a great ensemble cast, but what, uh, what Poitier brings to it is just like, he's like, I don't remember him ever being funnier than he is in this movie. Like some of the lines that he says, cause he's so like, he's got like, he's so straight faced when he says it, like he's not trying to be a funny guy and it's, it's just so, it's so good. Uh, I just, it's one of those where it's like. I, I don't want to say too much about it because anybody who hasn't seen it needs to just go and enjoy it because it's great. Definitely want to watch that again. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, okay. One of the others uh, for me, actually, again, there there was a, I think, City Poitier collection on the Criterion channel for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still up there, but there were like a whole bunch of, of different films and a lot of them, a lot of the, the kind of well-known ones and some of the lesser known ones. And this one was one that was really interesting because it's one of the few films where Poitier plays a questionable character. You're not quite certain whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. Uh, and it's Duel at Diablo, um, mm. which also stars B.B. Anderson and James Barner. And this, again, actually deals a great deal with race, but it's not just about the, the black, black-white race, but it's also about um, the, the violence done to Comanches uh, by white ranchers and by white settlers. And so there's all of this really interesting conflict going on. And um, in the middle of this is, is Poitier, who plays a horsebreaker uh, and, and basically, wind, basically winds up, spends the entire uh, film essentially saying like, look, man, I, I, I don't answer to you. I don't answer to anybody. I am here because you're paying me. Um, and so it creates this really interesting dynamic between him, between James Garner, um, and some of the other soldiers, 
and uh, and the the fighting that they're doing with Comanches. And in the midst of all this is Poitiers, who is kind of refusing to take sides. And um, and some of this is because of the way that he is being treated by white soldiers, by white settlers. So it's it's an interesting film. It's very nasty, um, and it's definitely one of those like mid '60s westerns where they're being allowed to depict a lot more violence, a lot more um, unpalatable things. There's a there's more of a question of who is good and who is bad, and how we even define that. Uh, and particularly interesting, I think, is actually in the representation of the Comanche characters. Um, who are kind of the antagonists, but aren't necessarily in the wrong, as is pointed out numerous times in the film. It's like, the reason why these Comanches are attacking people is not because they're, you know, vicious savages or anything like that, but because we're literally stealing their children and destroying their land and destroying their people. Um, so it's a really interesting film. I don't know if it's still on Criterion Channel, but if you can like hunt it down, it is, it's great. And it is a, like I said, a very nasty, very intense Western in this genre. I have not watched it, but I will look for it for sure. So any, any other? I would be remiss if I did not mention The Defiant Ones. Which yes. is his first Oscar nomination. Um, and it's such a phenomenal film. It's available on Prime Video right now. I already looked it up. Um, so it's on Prime. You can watch it there. But it's um, Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis play these two convicts who um, are they're chained together. They're part of a chain gang and they're chained together. They're uh, being transported with other prisoners. There's a crash and um, they in kind of in all of the chaos, these two take off, they escape. And um, so it's, it gets into just like a lot of the struggle that they have, like trying to, uh, trying to escape and flee and stay hidden while they're shackled together. And eventually they're able to, to break the chains, but they're um, the bond that forms between them because of this experience really leads to a conclusion that is just so um, it's like inevitable, but it's so sad and, 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 and just really um, like, it's got this, beauty to it too that um yeah it, it's 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 one of those films where um it's been so like it's been replicated so many times it's been, there there have been direct remakes of it but there's also just been a lot of um films inspired by it too but nothing really can replicate the actual experience of watching Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis on screen together and, and, and their performances are so great. And then, um, and then the fact that because this is 1958 and because you've got a black prisoner chained to a white prisoner, there's a lot of racism involved. There's also the fact that they're prisoners and, you know, they run afoul of a lynch mob at one point and, and it comes down to someone being compassionate on them is why they're able to live and 
Um, there's just so many elements. It's it's race. It's class. It's um, the fact that they are convicts. You know, there's just so many elements to uh, the experience that goes into this. And then it's it's another one of those. We've talked about this a lot too. It's another one of those films where um, it feels at such at home in the time that it came out, but so many of the themes that it that it deals with and addresses are still relevant today. These are still conversations that we're having 60 years later, 70 years later. So, uh, but yeah, if you have not seen The Defiant Ones, don't call yourself a Sidney Poitier fan because <laughs> this is this is like just amazing amazing work from him so it's yeah. it, it was one of his biggest earliest hits yeah i think it kind of it, it was one of those films that really did put him on the map as a star mm-hmm. um and yeah it's yeah. it's interesting you know one, one of the things that i've been talking about all this i'm like man pretty much so many of these films deal directly right explicitly with, with the issues of race right yeah um and which makes sense particularly for the time period and everything and uh at the same time it's kind of sad that that he gets so pigeonholed in his early career that primarily what he's playing are he's not playing foils but he's playing kind of he's playing the black man to the racist white man you know and he did that a lot throughout his career which isn't isn't a knock on him at all but it's sad that there wasn't more that he got to do yeah. Uh, particularly in the 1950s and 60s. And he did get to do a lot more as, as time <laughs> went on and as the culture changed as well. And he was a function of that culture and of, um, of breaking that culture as well. Yeah. And he, so I, I, t- I told this story briefly on Twitter yesterday, but I know some of our listeners aren't on Twitter. So I'm just going to kind of recap it again here. But um, he just had this amazing presence off screen too. And, um, the only experience, the only time I was ever in a place where I got to actually witness this was my very first Sundance in 2005. I was living in Utah. I was there as just a film fan. I was not writing for anybody at the time. I didn't, that was years away for me. Um, but I just loved movies and Sundance was right up the road. So why not go? Right. And so my friend and I, um, we had found out that there was this gifting suite where all the celebrities were going in. Of course it was all, you know, timed, scheduled and stuff very precisely, but we found out where that was going to be and like, Oh, you could just go watch the celebrities. And so, um, so we went and we just found a spot and we just hung out there and you could just see the crowd gathering more and more as, as the morning was going on. And we saw all kinds of people like Paris Hilton, um, I, I can't even, I don't remember, but it was like that level. It was like all kinds of people, um, coming and going. And, um, and as the crowd was getting louder, I mean, getting larger, it was also getting louder. People are excited. They're just talking, you know, just, you have that many people in a small, in a small space, it just gets loud. And all of a sudden there was just this hush that came over this whole crowd. And there's probably 200 or so people crammed in this area and everyone just went silent and my friend and I were just like what's going on and then I hear someone whisper oh my god it's Sidney Poitier and I was just like what really and then I looked and there he is he I mean he was a tall man and so he's just like a head and shoulders above everyone else around him 
And everyone just like, as they saw him, it was just this reverence for him. It was just like, everyone just knew you. Like, that's someone that you need to respect because he is one of the greats. And, um, yeah. And it was so everyone, and he kind of waved to the crowd. And then as soon as he went inside, everyone got loud again. But it was just, I've never, I've been to lots of events with lots of celebrities and, and fans and stuff. And I've never seen anything like that before or since. I believe it. I mean, from everything that I've heard, it's like he, he was a presence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He was, he was one of those actors who just, um, you know, there, there are those actors who do exude charisma and are, are, I'm trying to find a word for it. It's like, I want to, I also say majestic, but that doesn't quite, <laughs> that doesn't quite mean what I'm, what I'm trying to right. say. But yeah, just had, was magnetic, right? At that level yeah. that, that people just respected him so much. And it, it sounds like a lot of the time he's a very kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the stories you hear about him are about him being kind and about him doing doing kind things for people, yeah. um, and and you know and again was not just in his film career but in his personal life very much a um, a major proponent of civil rights was a major supporter of civil rights and he um, him people like him and Harry Belafonte gave a lot of money a lot of support a lot of attention to the civil rights movement and to the people who were actually fighting it on the ground in places like Mississippi. So he was using, he used his celebrity to further those causes that he believed in. So it wasn't just that he was portraying these characters on screen. He very much was that off screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so rest in peace, sir. Yes. Yes. And you certainly deserve it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yes, we're going to miss we're going to miss Sydney Poitier. We're going to miss Betty White and Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, but we also really should remember that these are these were incredibly influential people um, who lived fantastic lives and gave us a lot. And we still have a lot of theirs. That's one of the things that I you know say I like I guess about um, about actors and about film in particular is that those things don't die. They don't vanish when the person leaves. Right. Um, we still get to experience those films. We still get to experience that power. And it's sad that they're no longer with us, but also they are to in a certain way. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the reasons I'm so glad that we live in the time that we do, because we have access to so many things. I mean, look at just in the six films of, of Sidney Poitier that we just mentioned, you can find pretty much all of them streaming somewhere. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Now, when you come to someone like Betty White, you can watch the entire series of Golden Girls. Yep. You know, um, you watch Bogdanovich's Last Picture Show and Seconds. Uh, seconds. No. Paper Moon. And, Paper yeah. Moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, all of those films, and so those things are still available. Those are things that we can still continue to experience, and they, they in that sense, allow these people to live on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we need to remember that when we're sad about this loss, but also about the fact that we have so much of them still with us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yes, we're we're sad about that, but we are also want to talk about other things. Very um, important things for a little while. For a little while, and uh, before before we get into the really you know more more different serious stuff. I did just want to say something about the Elmo v. Rocco 
issue. (laughs) (laughs) Which I honestly have been obsessed with. Is it really Elmo versus Rocco or Elmo versus Zoe? Well, see, this was the argument that I was having, or not the argument, the conversation that I was having with my parents the other day. We're like, okay, so how do we actually deal with this, right? I am not a parent. Um, I do not have any, you know, I've never had younger siblings or anything like that. But you've got a situation, for people who do not know, on Sesame Street, <laughs> Elmo has a friend named Zoe, who's been around, I think, since the, the mid, mid-90s, actually. Um, Zoe has a friend named Rocco. Rocco is a pet rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rocco is, as, as several people pointed out, Rocco is not like one of those anthropomorphized puppet rocks. No, he's an actual, like, rock. Yep, right? he doesn't even have googly eyes glued on him. Yes, so he does not talk. He, he only speaks through Zoe. Zoe explains what Rocco is saying. Very, very recently, a clip from, I think, like, 2005 or something Yeah, it's like not a recent clip. It yeah. just recently reemerged. It just reemerged, and for some, re- for some reason, people really latched onto it. But honestly, I understand it, because I was like, oh, this is important right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in which Elmo, Zoe, and Rocco are all given cookies. Rocco is given the last oatmeal raisin cookie. And Elmo is like, oh, I would really like an oatmeal raisin cookie. But when he is informed that it's the last oatmeal raisin cookie, it's like, oh, well, don't worry. I will just have this one, which has been given to a rock. (laughs) Uh, At which point, Zoe informs Elmo that no, he can't have that one because it's Rocco's and Rocco wants to eat it. (laughs) Elmo very naturally freaks out. (laughs) Which I think that anyone would do were they told that they could not have a cookie because a rock wants it. (laughs) A rock who does not even have a mouth. So I encourage everyone to go look for this clip because there's no way to do it justice. Like, just talking about it. We just need to, like, link it in the show notes. You just have to see... And hear Elmo having an absolute fucking meltdown. <laughs> well, and over you can just rock. hear him wanting to swear so bad <laughs> <laughs> because he just wants that fucking cookie. <laughs> but so this has provoked, you know, kind of a debate, a lot of discussion. Everything's like, you know, are you Team Elmo? It's like, yes, of course, Team Elmo, because it's a rock. It's a yep. rock. You can a rock. Elmo is 100% in the right here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's not like Zoe wants the cookie for herself and is claiming that it's for Rocco. No, she's dead serious that she's saving that cookie for Rocco, which means eventually the cookie's going to turn into a rock and then no one can eat it. So Elmo should have the cookie. Elmo, that, that cookie is rightfully Elmo's. It is. It is. Um, and, and I'm, I'm horrified that anyone would claim that it's not, (laughs) to be honest. So, so yeah, I, I just, this is just one of those things that I've been like watching this with rapt attention. There are tons of clips also where apparently Rocco has been driving Elmo insane for years. (laughs) And, and each time I'm just like, okay, but what is the lesson here? That's, that's one of the things that I want to see because people, people keep on being like, oh, well, but you know, Rocco or Elmo should share. And things like that. Just like, but no, but it's a rock. Right. (laughs) Like, Zoe is fucking with him. Yes. She is 100% fucking with him. And she's getting away with it. And people are actually thinking that she's in the right here. And it's like, no, she's being mean. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, you know, oh, Rocco. It's funny, but after a certain point, Zoe let it go. The joke is over. (laughs) 
Well, and, and then, like I said, the other day I had a conversation with my parents about, you know, how do you handle that where you... So the idea is that you pretty much accepted that this kid has an imaginary friend, right? Who does things and says things and the kid interprets that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But when you get to the point where she is using that imaginary friend to fuck with another person, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you supposed to do exactly? And I, th- I believe my dad's response was, <laughs> my dad's response was like, no, you just take the cookie away from the rock and give it to Elma. Because Elma <laughs> deserves that cookie. And this is why you were raised right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that I would not have gotten away with this. Like, no, friend, you cannot have that cookie because my pet rock wants it. You know, I'm going to call my mom today and ask her her opinion. Because <laughs> now I'm curious what she would say. <laughs> so, yeah, solidly Team Elmo here. Yeah, we both are. <laughs> it's unanimous. And and we will we will put the link in. Um, I did please. like I did like the tweet from Elmo's account this week that was like when this was all going like crazy. And he's like, Elmo and Zoe are good. Elmo does not speak about Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he, he he's also like, has anyone ever seen a rock eat a cookie? Elmo just wants to know. I was like. You know what, Elmo? I think that that is absolutely fair, and mm-hmm. you are correct, right? You know, Elmo can be a little shit because he's, like, four. Right. But in this case, he might be four, but he was not born yesterday. Like, he knows. <laughs> he knows. He's just like, no, this this is not going to fly anymore. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, so 100% Team Elmo. This is definitely the Carol fucking Baskin of 2022. <laughs> I feel like this whole thing started off screen where the puppeteers for Elmo and Zoe were like reaching for the final bagel or something and the puppeteer for Zoe was like no but I'm gonna give this to Zoe (laughs) and that inspired the whole thing Well, it, it is that, like, weird kind of thing where, you know, you, you hear about puppeteers and ventriloquists, et cetera, really giving, I mean, the, their puppets have their own personalities. Yeah, right? they personify their, their puppets, yeah. Yeah, and so then, so then it's like, well, no, Zoe wants the, the cookie. It's just like, Zoe's a puppet. <laughs> Zoe does not have teeth or a throat <laughs> or a stomach. <laughs> yes, yes. Team Elmo, Team Elmo for life. Mm-hmm. Rock on. Uh, so more seriously um not that this is an incredibly (laughs) serious debate uh we did want to talk a little bit about some upcoming releases directed by women um because this was originally going to be our whole episode but then a couple people decided to leave this mortal coil and take up half of our episode (laughs) uh sorry uh yeah so so stop that yeah don't do that anymore um but yeah, I, I I mean, I think that generally there are a lot of really interesting films that are, are coming out fairly soon that are directed by women. And um, I think it's good to recognize these things as well, that we are actually making strides in the right direction, despite mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, fewer women, um, fewer women are behind the camera. And, and there have been some kind of disappointing statistics that have come out, but we need to recognize when women are getting a lot of opportunities and are having really interesting things coming out. Yeah, so, definitely. 
we have, we have a whole list here, Karen, but what is like one of the films that to you just stands out that you're really excited about? Okay, so I have talked at length for years about how I want an actual um, adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that actually captures what I believe is supposed to be a satirical comedy and not a romantic drama. And so when I found out about a movie coming up called Rosaline by Karen Maine, I was so excited. Like, as soon as I saw the title, I just knew what it was going to be before I ever read anything about it. But Caitlin Deaver plays Rosaline, the jilted ex of Romeo. And so it's the Romeo and Juliet story from Rosaline's point of view. And it's supposed to be a comedy. And it's, this is everything I've wanted. Everything I've waited for, for, like, since my freshman year of high school. I'm so excited. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like Rosaline is Juliet's cousin. And so it's like she's just watching Juliet be crazy over this stupid boy that just broke up with her. And yeah, it just it looks great. And um so Karen Main is the director. She did Obvious Child with um Jenny Slate. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) anyway um but yeah uh so it's she's still an emerging filmmaker karen main is but it um yeah i'm i'm really excited for this it's written by scott newstatter who um he wrote 500 days of summer the spectacular now the disaster artist the fault in our stars like a bunch of of um stuff like his screenplays are good some of the movies themselves are eh. But the screenplays are really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so uh, so I'm excited for that. It's, um, like I said, Caitlin Deaver plays Rosaline. But um, Isabella Merced is Juliet. She was in um, that Dora the Explorer movie where What's-His-Face got all, like, mad that she was not hot enough or something. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so she's playing Juliet. So, um, and then Minnie Driver is in it. Bradley Whitford. Um, just looks like a fun cast and it looks like it's going to have the type of, um, the type of like, uh, mood that I think this story really deserves. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I've not heard about that at all, but that does sound like fun. Yeah. What's one of yours? Uh, one of mine, and people are going to laugh, but I don't care because I've been waiting for like this kind of movie for so long, is Marry Me. Yes. Uh, the 2022 <laughs> romantic comedy drama. This is how it's being advertised, a romantic musical comedy drama. So we just need to get a horror film in there and it's it's complete. But no, this like... I know, yes, people are like, oh, it looks so stupid. It's just like, yes, it absolutely does. It absolutely looks so stupid, but also I'm really excited about it because it's like Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson, and it looks like an early aughts, like, romantic comedy, and I'm 100% into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yes, this this is Jennifer Lopez plays a, uh, a Latin pop star um, who discovers that her, her partner has been having an affair, and she has set up to... Um, to marry him live 
uh, at like a live concert. And instead of marrying him, she chooses Owen Wilson from the audience <laughs> and marries him instead. So like on this, the spot. Yeah. Like on the spot. Exactly. So this is all kinds of problematic, but I am actually really excited about this. Like I said, it's, it's silly. It sounds like a ridiculous kind of, <laughs> ridiculous movie it's directed by um i'm gonna mispronounce her name and it's directed by kate quaro quaro something like that um who has also directed the pilots for uh girls five eva and she hulk she's done a whole bunch of um smaller uh uh television shows she's worked on like brooklyn 99 and modern family so she has she's one of these directors it sounds like who has been moving up the ranks uh, as so many female directors do via television this yes it looks silly it also looks like a lot of fun and i am really looking forward to this being silly and fun Mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah it looks like a good time can't wait that's another one of mine so there's one coming up called women talking which is written and directed by sarah Pauly and I haven't read the novel that it's based on, but here's the plot summary for this movie. A group of women in an isolated Mennonite religious colony in Bolivia, as they struggle to reconcile their faith with a string of sexual assaults committed by the colony's men. And it stars Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, Ben Wishaw, Rooney Mara, Frances McDormand, Judith Ivey, um, Michelle McLeod. So it's a great cast. Um, and it just that doesn't sound like a fun movie but it sounds like one that um is gonna be really really good i think um yeah sarah polly she (laughs) the last movie well the last movie she directed that i saw was from 2006 it was away from her and i hated that movie but I think the filmmaking is good. I just hated that story. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that's the one with, um, uh, what's her name? Julie Christie was nominated for an Oscar for playing a woman with, um, Alzheimer's and her husband very reluctantly realizes he can't take care of her anymore. And he puts her in a home for Alzheimer's patients and she falls in love with another man. And, um, yeah, that's not how Alzheimer's works. But anyway, uh, it was a very frustrating experience. But the filmmaking itself was really good. So I'm very curious about this one. And it just looks like a really, like I said, a really good story and a really amazing cast. So Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so another one of mine is, I'm actually excited about this because I just found out about it. Uh, but also I really want to see a female director's take on the story. Um, Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is yeah. directed by, um, again, I'm going to fuck up the name, Laura de Clermont-Tonnier, who's director, she's a, she's a French film actress, but her directorial debut was The Mustang, um, back in 2019. And I'm just really intrigued by a woman directing the story, uh, because I think that most of, there've been a number of adaptations of Lady Chatterley's Lover, most of them have been done by men. Um, and and even though, you know, it's a book written by a man, it's such a female story. And I'm really intrigued by how a female director is going to interpret it, how she's going to depict the, the sexuality. This is supposed to come out on Netflix in 2022. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Like, I, I'm really excited about um, uh, to see where this one goes. Ooh, yeah. That 
I just heard about that yesterday, actually, and I'm very curious. So I'm not going to go too much into this, but speaking of um, adaptations that are coming that I think are also on Netflix, but um, hey, did you know that uh, Jane Austen wrote other books besides Pride and Prejudice? (laughs) (laughs) And they're actually doing Persuasion. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be on Netflix. It's with Dakota Johnson and Henry Golding. So, yeah, I'm there for that. Mm -hmm. Dakota Johnson is an odd choice for that. I agree. (laughs) I agree. But I'm just so happy that they're making a Jane Jane Austen adaptation that's not Pride and Prejudice or Emma. So, yeah. Well, and I have to say that's Persuasion's actually my favorite Jane Austen. And I'm not a big fan of Jane Austen generally. But Mm -hmm. Persuasion is like, it's... I think that Pride and Prejudice and Emma and things like that read like young adults almost. They read um, like you're reading a gossip column. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of that. Whereas Persuasion feels like an adult romance, and and in some ways almost more like the reality of the way that romance probably worked in that time period. Um, and and so I'm I'm. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be yeah. fascinating. I do like Dakota Johnson. She, she's just an odd choice for that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, too, because it's directed by Carrie Cracknell, who this will be her film debut. She comes from theater. So she's done a lot of productions for the National Theater Live. So she's done like some stuff that has been on TV, but she's a stage director. So I'm really curious how that'll translate. Sometimes that works really, really well. For, especially for stories like this so yeah uh well another one of mine and i was again in, in looking up films for this i was just reminded that this film is a thing that's going to happen and we're going to get to see uh is olivia wilde's new film um don't worry darling which is going to which stars florence Pugh and harry styles mm-hmm. and the plot is an unhappy housewife in the 1950s discovers a disturbing truth while her loving husband hides a dark secret. And I'm really excited about this just because I like Olivia Wilde and I loved Booksmart. Um, but also it sounds very intriguing and uh, according to everybody is very sexy. So I will be interested to see that. I mean, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it looks, it, it sounds so intriguing. And I know it'll be so different from Booksmart, but I really loved what she did with that film. So I'm excited for anything that she does next. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki Caro is coming back this time. She's got a film for Netflix called The Mother. And um, guess what? We're getting multiple J-Lo movies this year. <laughs> so... We're just um, like, so many riches are being showered upon us. <laughs> I know, yeah. So this is Jennifer Lawrence, Joseph Fiennes, Gail Garcia Bernal, and then Paul Racy, who was in Sound of Metal last year. And so in this one, though, this isn't a rom-com. Uh, this is an action movie. So it's J-Lo doing action. I am here for 50-year-old actresses becoming action stars. If the dudes can do it, the women can too. And so she's supposed to be playing like a, an assassin that's been on on the run for a long time and someone's coming after her and now she has to, um, protect her daughter who she left behind a long time ago. So sounds intriguing. I'm here for it. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I'm down for that. Uh, okay. Well, finally, um, 
this this one I'm excited about because I didn't realize that this director uh, had uh, had already done the uh, animation short that she did. But so turning, oops, yeah, turning red, mm -hmm. um, being directed by Domi Shi, and she was the one who won an Oscar for Bao, uh, for her short animation film, which is a great little piece of animation. It is so sweet and sad and moving. It really does hit at some of the things Pixar is really good at. Um, and this one is about a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian uh, who's torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. And the fun part is that whenever she gets excited or stressed, she turns into a giant red panda. <laughs> and that, just like the trailer for it, made me so happy. I was like, this looks really ridiculously cute. But the fact that you've got a... a, uh, a, a Asian um, director that this is someone who is this isn't like a white dude imposing himself um, or anything like that that this actually sounds like a really interesting film and you know Pixar continues to struggle with representation sometimes but I'm glad that they're actually moving in a good direction I'm glad that also a female director who produced such a great uh, animated short is getting the opportunity to do her longer film and that's supposed to be on Disney Plus, uh, I think in March they moved yeah. the theatrical release. Yeah, which was really weird when I went to the movies yesterday and they showed a trailer for it and it still said coming in March. And I was like, well, it is, but <laughs> now it's not coming to theaters in March. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's Teen Wolf, but it looks like it'll have some fun. Um, but it's a giant red panda. <laughs> I know, and I was gonna say I think it'll have some fun, like cultural relevance and 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 references and things too. But I was watching that trailer, going, I saw this movie in the eighties with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> but it's a panda, okay? But it's it's the like when you're talking about a, a teenager, a teenager that turns into a werewolf. Like, okay, fine, yeah, whatever. But a giant red panda that is like, you know. I, mean, I know it looks I've really seen, cute. I can't. Red wait. pandas, when they're trying to be frightening, are still the cutest little fuckers on the planet. Mm -hmm. So, yep, which must be so frustrating for them. It's like, rawr, <laughs> I'm me. It's like, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm. You should be scared right now. Just like, no, we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I feel like there are so many. There's so many films coming up that I'm looking forward to, so I'm like, I don't even know what else to mention and what to leave off my list. But um, one that I'm intrigued by is a movie coming up called Emily, which is about Emily Bronte. When I first heard the title, I thought, oh, we're getting another Emily Dickinson project? We're not. <laughs> this one's about Emily Bronte, who... Um, died at age 30 and uh it is the film debut uh directorial debut for Frances o'connor who's an actress who's done tons of stuff she was in mansfield park she was in um lock and key the the movie not the series she was um i think she was the mom in the conjuring 2 um so uh, good actress so it'll be interesting to see her uh, step behind the camera as a director and a, and a writer. So it's uh, Emma Mackey, Oliver Jackson Cohen, and Gemma Jones are in this. So um, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about that one, but I like yeah. I enjoy the Brontes um, generally. So yeah, they kind of get 
overshadowed by <laughs> Louisa May Alcott and Jane Austen and some of the others, but um Well and Emily Bronte in particular who Right. Uh, yeah, she's the forgotten Bronte sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very often. Um uh, yeah, no, that'll that'll be really interesting. I'm you know, it's interesting the number of the number of directors that we've mentioned who are actually actresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- including people like Olivia Wilde, um, and and then I I recently just saw Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, The The Lost Daughter, oh, so good, which is such a great film and so intense. But one of the things that struck me about it was how assured Maggie Gyllenhaal was in her mm-hmm. directing style. Like it felt like, and I I felt the same way about Olivia Wilde actually in Booksmart that there wasn't this sense of a director feeling things out or trying to figure out what they were doing. These women know what they're doing. Um, and, and it's really interesting to see that more happening more with, with actresses, because we've had a long history of, of actors becoming directors or actors being kind of simultaneously actors and directors. We haven't seen that a lot or as much, I guess, with women. Um, and we seem to be seeing that more and more. And I'm really excited by that because, and and obviously some of it is also about cachet. They could probably get their projects funded with greater ease. Um, things like that, but they're still coming out with these fantastic films and stories and really doing great jobs with it. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited by this trend. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Have you watched Passing yet? I haven't. That That's one that's been on my list and I'm still working through some of my 2021 films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so am I. just haven't gotten there yet. But, yeah, um, but that's but, another one. Rebecca yeah. Hall directed that and it's her debut and it's another one that is just really just it has this this confidence, um, which probably comes from spending so much time on film sets and, and you know, observing yeah. good filmmaking. Um but also, it's just, I don't know, it's nice, like you say, it's nice to see women get that chance to, to actually sit in the director's chair and make the make the decisions and, and bring forward these really amazing stories that are so good, so important, and that just would not be told the same way if they were yeah. told by men. So, which is yeah. not a complaint, it's just a reality, so. There's, there's a little part of me, and I have no proof of this whatsoever there's a little part of me that's kind of like you know yeah they learned by by being on film sets and watching good directing and also probably watching watching bad directing directing. (laughs) yeah and things like if i ever direct a film i will never do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and given you know i think all of these these women that we're talking about have had very good and interesting film careers but um but also i do kind of wonder at what point they were kind of like that dude's behaving in exactly the way that i don't want a director to behave yeah yeah exactly so but there's there's also this year so many movies coming out not just uh first time uh, directors that are you know actresses turning directors but a lot of follow-up films a lot of films coming from veteran filmmakers too that i'm really looking forward to like i want to dance with somebody is casey lemons um it's a whitney houston film and um you've got claire denis coming back with a movie called the stars at noon um nicaragua in the 80s so um that'll be interesting um we've got what was another one nora toomey is doing a new animated film called my father's dragon i don't know much about that story but it's the same folks that just did wolf walkers last year or two years ago now um, Nora Toomey is the one who did The Breadwinner, which was a really, really beautiful and heartbreaking 
um, story of animated film from a couple of years ago about a girl in Afghanistan who has to pretend to be a boy to support her family. So uh, just incredibly beautiful animation from Cartoon Saloon is an Irish uh, filmmaking company and they just do such amazing work. So, um, so I'm excited for that. Josephine Decker is coming back with a new film. Yeah. I was about to mention that too. I was like, mm-hmm. she can miss Josephine Decker. Yeah. 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 So uh, the sky is everywhere. That's also going to, these are, these two back-to-back are going to be on Apple TV Plus at some point. Um, gosh, who else? Like, there's so many that are coming back with new films. So, um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot. And then there's there's some exciting stuff that we'll see what happens now with Sundance moving back to virtual. But there's supposed to be some really exciting things coming to Sundance that don't have distribution yet that we hope will um, make it to our screens at some point this year or or maybe into next year or two but um there's just so many women getting to make great great films now and a lot of them are having to still operate outside of the studio system because the studio still for whatever reason would much rather put their energy and money behind someone who's you know a mediocre director than giving an opportunity to someone else that, you know, can do some really great things. Well, exactly. And I, I think that the study that came out that kind of had people a little bit depressed was um, that the number of female directors behind top grossing films actually decreased from uh, from 2020, right? Yeah. So in 2020, in 2020 uh, women directors were behind 16% of the top grossing films and that decreased to 12% in 2021. A number of people pointed out that we also need to look at indie films. We need to look at smaller films. And yeah, it's depressing that some of these women are not getting bigger opportunities. But at the same time, you know, people like Josephine Decker who has been who's been making great indie films for quite a while now. Um, are getting those opportunities. They are getting films out there. We have seen some great films by female directors. They're not necessarily top grossing ones, right? And that's something that needs to be worked on. But women are, are continuing to push forward and are getting films made, in some ways also getting films made the way that they want to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the downsides of the top grossing kind of thing is that very often they're then at the um, kind of at the mercy of a studio or of, of multiple producers, et cetera, where they're not getting to produce something that they, that is actually what their vision is, is just sort of, you know, a corporate product or whatever. And so I think that we need to, we need to note that, you know, that even though there's been this little bit of a decline, which is still way too low, the fact that it went from 16% to 12%, I was like, oh no, it's like, yeah, but 16% ain't great guys. Um, right. Yeah. We still we still need to notice the fact that there are women working outside of that system mm-hmm. that are getting films made and that are getting great films made. Yeah, yeah, there are, and and we also have to. It's hard to, it's hard to know what the landscape will look like if we weren't in a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a that's a reality that we're just stuck with and. I know 2021 had Eternals and Black Widow, which I really think in a different year, in a different world, um, would have both done much different business. So, But we also have to celebrate things that, that come along, like 
this year there are more women in the conversation for screenwriting Oscars than we've really ever seen before. Like, it's entirely possible. It's not likely to happen, but it's entirely possible to have um, an entire category of writing, writing of screenwriting um, be all female nominees. Like, See, that's, that's never... That's never happened before. That's you know? impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's really impressive. There are three films directed by women that made it onto the visual effects shortlist this year. Probably only one of them will end up getting nominated. But that right there, it should not be as big of a like milestone as it is. But there's the only film directed by women that's ever won for visual effects was The Matrix. And we didn't know they were women at the time. They weren't out yet. They hadn't transitioned. So the fact that Matrix Resurrections now is on the list is pretty great. And then so is Black Widow and so is Eternals. And it's like, this is this is monumental. Women don't like... And there's lots of movies that definitely deserved to be nominated before and, and win before over the years. So people say, well, there's, you know, women don't make those movies. They do. It's just they don't get the opportunities as often. And this year, we've got three out of ten, which is just like, okay, we're seeing some movement here. Yeah. We're going to have another woman nominated for cinematography, most likely, and she could actually win. It would be the first time a woman has won for best cinematography. So it's like we have to look at those milestones where where we can and there's it's ridiculous that in 94 years certain things like that have never happened and that only one woman out of like hundreds has even been nominated but um we're seeing it it's it's finally starting to come and a big yeah. part of i think the reason why is because of smaller studios and streamers and independent films and like festivals giving more and more of these opportunities to women to really show what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the number of films that we just mentioned that are supposed to premiere on, you know, Apple TV and Netflix mm -hmm. that are just set for that. Right. Yeah. Um, is, is something that we definitely need to pay attention to. And there, there's been some talk about, you know, Netflix premiering some of these films or funding some of these films and there's been a lot of like pretty nasty elitism going around about it but it's like but look these films are getting viewers they're they're getting out there to actual people you know um versus you know losing your shit every time some you know ridley scott's medieval rape drama doesn't do well <laughs> uh you know i i would rather have access to these films than not yeah well you know what's interesting is look at um Look at a year ago, the movies that Netflix had as its awards contenders. Um, I'm trying to remember now <laughs> what they had last year. I don't remember what they had Oh last my year. gosh. So the one that I remember most clearly is Roma, but that was a couple mm, years ago. That was a couple um, years ago. Yeah. Last year, you had um, the biggest contenders that Netflix had in terms of number of nominations were Mink. And The Trial of the Chicago 7. They also had Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. They had Pieces of a Woman. Um, they had Hillbilly and The White Tiger. So they had a little bit of, of diversity there. Like with Ma Rainey and with um, The White Tiger specifically. 
Um, but this year, their biggest contenders are The Power of the Dog, The Lost Daughter, Passing. They also have Don't Look Up, um, which I enjoyed, but I, I don't know how well that's going to do. Um, but, but just looking at the shift, like, they've gone yeah. from pretty much all male filmmakers to mostly female filmmakers. And the male the male filmmakers that they have, like Tick, Tick, Boom was directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So, um, so it's just interesting to see Netflix even really starting to, um, really leading the way in making those shifts. And, um, and when Roma was nominated a couple of years ago, that was the first time that a streaming service made it into the best picture race and they got Alfonso Cuaron best director. So, um, so yeah, seeing Netflix really start to actually, for, for all the bad things that that company has done, for all the imperfect and, and terrible choices that they sometimes have made, and, and some of the criticism has been very, very deserved, they're also really trying to, uh, provide new opportunities for filmmakers and new voices. Yeah, and, and I think that certainly that the pandemic has kind of sped this up. But as you as you say, Roma kind of broke ground in that sense, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kept happening. And you know, and as much as people want to dismiss, people want to dismiss streamers. At, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who really do not want to talk about streamers being in the awards conversation, or the fact that places like Netflix are in fact distributing good films. Um, so, you know, the, the idea that the power of the dog or the lost daughter is just a blip and that Netflix is never going to do, well, you said Roma was a blip a couple of years ago and yep. that quite obviously was not. So, you know, Netflix, Netflix and other streamers are what they are. They're, you know, I've, my attitude throughout most of this is that first of all, filmmaking is about money at the end of the day and particularly distribution is about money they it's how they think they can make money where they think they can make money um to you know say that it, that the film is not legitimate because netflix distributed it or uh you know hbo max premiered it day and date is just bullshit right you're you know warner brothers and paramount and any place else are no more morally pure or ethically pure in some way. They're no more represent real cinema than anyone else has ever done. Like they, it's simply trying to produce films that are going to make money and that people are going to watch and that are going to get awards and things like that. So we need to look at streamers in the same light as we look at everybody else. Exactly. Um, and, and that means, you know, not dismissing places like Netflix because, and ultimately when you do dismiss Netflix, what you're really doing is you're doing damage to the filmmakers as well. You're saying that their efforts are not legitimate at some level. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really bad fucking look when you're talking about uh, people of color and and female directors. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, any, anything else? Any last thoughts? Uh, Any other films that you're looking forward to before we close this out? Um, I, I mean, a lot there's a few that I'm like I don't know when those are coming out you know like um Chloe Zhao is doing Dracula uh Greta Gerwig is doing Barbie which I would not have been interested in except for it's Greta Gerwig and 
um, Margot Robbie, and I think that they're going to have an interesting take on that, <laughs> you know? I really um, want to know what it is, because <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> all right, I trust both of you, so show me. <laughs> right, yeah, so I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to go with it, why not, sure. Um, um, oh my gosh, there's, there's other films, like, um, Karin Kasama is doing a vampire film, at some point, which might not be till 2023. Um, uh, who is, uh, someone's doing the Marvels, which comes out in 2023. So it's like, there's some that it's like, they won't be out this year, but just more films from female directors that I'm like, yes. Oh, Nia DaCosta is doing the Marvels. Um, and after Candyman, I will watch any movie that woman makes. I'm so excited. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, Ava DuVernay has a limited series coming. I'm not sure when it's due out or even which, uh, service is going to have it, but it's called DMZ and it's in like a, um, it's like a, it sounds like a dystopian kind of alternate future type of story where, um, there's some kind of war happening and Manhattan is a demilitarized zone. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like, that sounds interesting. I can't wait to see what Ava DuVernay has to say about that. Um, Rachel Morrison, first woman nominated for cinematography, is directing a film that I don't know when that'll be out. And that's called Flint Strong. And it's about a boxer from Flint, Michigan, who um, became, I think, the first American woman to win the gold medal at the Olympics, something like that. Um, I might have some of those details wrong, but... Um, yeah, it's just there's there's so many exciting things coming with women at the char in charge. So I I can't wait. Yeah, there's there's actually some really good stuff to look forward to. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that that is going to close us out for this episode where we talked about all kinds of things. We sure did. Um, and we are going to be back next week to talk about more different kinds of things, all kinds of things, including maybe my rant about ethics in film. Yes. <laughs> Which we need to discuss at some point, because I We have really do, yeah. Uh, so as always, thank you so much for joining us yet again in 2022, and we especially want to thank our patrons who continue to support us. Um, that includes Adriana, Ali, Connor, Heather, James... Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, sorry, Nanina, uh, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much, guys, for continuing to support us, and we're really grateful for that. If you want to support our Patreon, we are going to have some new stuff coming out. We're going to have a bonus episode this month. Um, should we say what the bonus episode? Yeah, go for be? it. So we're going to talk about Matrix Resurrections. We're going to break that down. Which yes, I we am are. really, really excited about. I even mm -hmm. have to watch the film a second time because isn't that a terrible labor? Oh um, my gosh, poor you. <laughs> I've already watched it twice and I can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> so we did talk about The Matrix, so now we're going to talk about Matrix Resurrections. We're kind of ignoring the fact that there are two films in between that. Um, there are? <laughs> there's not. There's not. It just goes straight from The Matrix to Matrix Resurrections. That's how mm -hmm. it works. Uh, so we're really excited about that, and that's going to be our bonus episode on Patreon this month. And we're also going to have some other things. We are going to get some stuff out. Um, as you know, we've been working on our website and things like that. We are doing as much as we can um, and are going to do a lot more. So you can join our Patreon. It's, it's bleh, our Patreon. <laughs> it's 
patreon.com slash citizen dame uh if you want to buy anything from our zazzle store which we are also revamping but we still have some stuff up there we have uh that's our zazzle store at zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and we do still have a ko-fi account ko-fi.com slash citizen dame you can visit our new website that is a very slow but progressive work in progress Mm -hmm. uh citizendamepod.com i've got some blu-ray reviews up there i know that karen is going to have some uh, reviews coming up and so will i so watch out for that uh, we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and we are on Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. We do have a lot of fun stuff coming up in 2022, and we're going to keep everyone apprised of that and do a lot of fun things. Yes. So you can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will talk to y'all later. Bye. Can Elmo have an oatmeal raisin cookie instead, please? Oh, gee, Elmo, that was my last one. Oh, that's okay, Gabby. Elmo will just take this one. No, no, no. Wait, wait, Elmo. What? Rocco says that he wants the oatmeal raisin cookie. Rocco? Rocco's a rock, Zoe. Rocco won't know the difference. Yes, he will. He, he, you can't have that cookie.